Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas in personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Alrighty, so Jay Shetty, as you know. Out of some 200 speakers last year in Mind Valley, was awarded based on audience data as the best speaker at Mind Valley across all seminars, all festivals, all events for the entire year 2018. But what is also really wonderful to say about Jay is that in today's world, and this is something that lights me up, in today's world, the number one personality on Facebook is not a Kardashian <laughs> or a politician. It is Jay Shetty, a monk, a monk, former monk, who makes wisdom go viral. Jay Shetty's videos have been viewed four billion times, four billion times, and this is since he started in 2016, January 2016. But here's the crazy thing: three billion of that four billion happened in just the last 12 months. And his growth is exponential and growing, and he, perhaps more than almost anyone else I personally know, is helping create a world where wisdom becomes viral and something that you really want to consume. Jay, welcome to Mind Valley again. Thank you, Vishen. Thank you so much. Thank you to all of you. I'm so grateful. Thank you. I'm so grateful and touched to be here. Thank you for the opportunity, Vishen, and thank you to all of you for being here as well. Thank you for. Being here when you could be anywhere in the world, you chose to be sitting on that seat. So let's start with the opening question, Jay. Sure. You learned so much, and you just got back from meditating in India in an ashram. You're constantly evolving yourself. What would be some words of advice you would give to the people in this room? That's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> so I take out 21 to 30 days every year to go and live back with the monks where I used to live in India. So I lived as a monk for three years. And every day, I've made it a priority to continue my meditation practice, which is currently two hours a day. It's been that way for the last 13 years. It's been the bedrock and foundation of my life. So, to that very big question that Vishen asked me, my first piece of advice would be finding your daily rituals, finding your daily habits, finding your practices that act as the foundation, because we're living in such busy, hectic. Crazy times. How many of you know that you have a schedule and still half of the things don't happen on that schedule? Right? Anyone ever been in that position? Or how many of you go through that process where you start watching something really educational on YouTube, and then two videos later you're watching something about Justin Bieber's mum? Right? And it's like, <laughs> how did I get there? Like, how did that happen? And you end up getting lost in this world. And so, whether it's in a small way of getting lost through the content. Rabbit hole, or whether it's getting lost by getting distracted from what's really meaningful to you. For me, refining my intentions on a daily basis is one of my favorite favorite habits. And so, what I do every day is I'll look at the plethora of options that I have available, all of the things, whether it's deals, ideas, thoughts, projects, offers, whatever it is. And on top of all of them, I'll write down why I would do that. And if the reason is often ego, pride, envy, competition, jealousy, 
And sometimes it's compassion, love, joy, passion, purpose, meaning, fulfillment. And so what I like to do is refine my intentions, which I class as seeds and weeds every day. So I want to plant more seeds in the garden of my life, seeds of things that are like compassion, love, purpose, fulfillment, meaning, joy, service. And weeds are when we do things out of ego, envy, competition. And so every day, I'm plucking out the weeds out of my life, and I'm trying to plant more seeds. How many of you want to be gardeners with me? And I do that every day because it's so easy for me to confuse the weeds as seeds. It's so often that I've let ego grow so strong inside of me, and it took me forever to notice that was a weed. So I have to do it every day. So that's one of my biggest pieces of advice. I do it every single day. It's made a huge difference in making sure I make the right choices, the right decisions with people, places, and projects that I'm involved in. When you refine that intention, and it gets purer and purer and purer, not that we're ever fully pure, but it gets purer and purer and purer, you'll just see magic happen around you. So many things will open up, things that you never imagined. So you I hope that answers your question. But It does, and yeah. it just opens up so many other questions. You said <laughs> you try to get your intention purer and purer, and it sounds to me like what you're saying is you're going for the feeling that it's giving you joy, bliss, passion, right? How far ahead are you looking? Are you looking at your intentions for a day, for a week, for a month, for a year? I look at intentions from places that I go, people that I spend time with, and projects that I'm involved in. So in every one of those areas, and that includes everything from what I'm doing right now by being here. So I'm with all of you. So I planted a seed of an intention that I wanted to come here to be of service to all of you, all the way through to what do I want to be doing in 12 months? I usually don't make plans for longer than 12 months because the world changes so fast and everything else. So that's usually as far ahead I think of. Do you ever get intentions like binge watch Game of Thrones for <laughs> 24 hours straight and then judge yourself for having that intention? So I was with someone that I was coaching yesterday and they said, Jay, be real with me, right? You know, everyone always likes us, like, be real with me. Like, don't give me the monk answer, you know? It's something my sister always says to me, don't go monk on me, Jay Shetty. Like, I don't want to hear another video. My wife and my sister do that often to me. So someone asked me yesterday, like, be real with me. Like, what do you do when you just want to let go? So the honest answer is, I grew up in London. I'm a huge soccer fan or real football. And... <laughs> yes. Finally, someone says it on our stage. I never understood you Americans. It's not... I absolutely love football. And my favorite thing to do is play PlayStation with my buddies and play FIFA. I can do that for hours and hours and hours. And I'm pretty good too. So if anyone wants to play me a game of FIFA, I'm always up. But that's, yeah, I do get that. And there's two things I love in that category. It's playing PlayStation, playing FIFA. And the second is movies. I'm a huge fan of movies. I'm a huge fan of Christopher Nolan specifically because of the stories that he writes and the movies he brings to life. So I love movies that help me learn and have messages inside them because I believe that movies have the power to shift culture and shift conversation. So I'm fascinated by the power of media and movies. So I love consuming that content because it gives me more ideas and inspiration. And I truly believe that we're defined by the stories we tell ourselves. So when we see new stories through movies and media, I see changes in culture happening. So we want to keep the questions spiritual and deep, but also real. I like like you just insulted Americans and uh, <laughs> their Not description of football is football. But you say you spend 28 days of the year in an ashram in India. Yes. Okay, and you're becoming one of the most famous teachers on the planet. What do you do with that ashram? Do you check Facebook or Instagram while you're there? <laughs> Good question. 
I read an incredible study that changed the way I create and think. And it said that the human mind can't be logical and creative at the same time. How many of you have ever walked from a highly creative brainstorm where you were fueled with passion and then had to talk about numbers and business? And it's tough, right? Anyone ever found that quite difficult? It's quite challenging. And the mind's like trying to run from one side of the brain to the other side of the brain. So what I do is I create in depth. So I go really deep into my creation and then I go really deep into everything else that I have to do. So before I went to India, I created my content in advance. And so when I was in India, I was able to really switch off. So the beauty of being able to be in India for 21 or 30 days or wherever I am in the world for that matter, I'm then not having to think of creativity as stress or pressure. I'm able to do creativity as a form of passion and service. And so when I was in India, I was able to not look at Instagram. I was able to not look at Facebook. I was able to completely switch off for 21 days when I was there earlier in January. And I started my year in the way I wanted to. So I was meditating for eight hours a day. I was spending time with my teachers who are mind-blowing and incredible and trying to learn from them and taking knowledge and wisdom from them and continuously praying to be of more service this year and make a difference this year. So that's how I chose to spend my January. And I had so many people saying to me, they were just like, Jay, it's January. Things are going well in your career. How can you take 21 days off? Right, that pressure, that noise. I was like, things are going good for you. How can you take time off? I was like, things are going good because I'm doing this. You know, I had one of my teachers that has kept saying to me for years, he goes, if you want to move three steps forward, you have to go three steps deep. And so if I'm not going forward, I know it's because I haven't gone deep. So for me, that's a big priority for me. And that's what I try and do. No, I try and do that every day, but I also believe in immersive experiences. A lot of us today, we live in this world, which is like 10 minutes a day. Do it for 10 minutes a day, everything will be great. And that is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But imagine you spent with a boy or a girl, your partner, whoever it was, someone that you just started dating. Imagine you spent 10 minutes a day with them. How long would it take you to figure out whether you wanted to fall in love with them or not? Probably a long time. And so when you go immersive, if you spend a weekend away with someone, you know whether you like them or not. And meditation, mindfulness, all these habits are the same. The more you immerse yourself, the more you get an experience that stays with you, the more that you can live with that experience and keep going back to it for 10 minutes a day. So I really believe in immersive experiences. I love the 10 minute a day advice, but I also deeply believe in having a deep, immersive, absorbed experience that completely takes over your whole body, mind, and soul. And then you're able to carry that forever. So I try and do that once a year. That's amazing, beautifully said. Thank you, thank you so much, thank you. So you're a monk. I used to be, I'm married now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But you still go back to monktitude or whatever they call it, like yeah. once, monk a month, school, yeah. once a year, right? Monktitude. Like monk refresher course. So, yeah, the monks are not very good at branding, as you can <laughs> tell. <laughs> so when you're there hanging out with these other monks, do they like ask you to teach them how to do Instagram? or <laughs> Like how do other monks relate to you when you go back to the ashram? One of the things I love to be with the monks again is that they don't care. <laughs> Like, they have no agenda, they have no desire, they don't want to learn anything about what I'm up to. And I love that because I get to switch off from that identity too. And it's beautiful to be able to let go of every identity that you've taken on and then just be. And so when I go there and I'm able to remove any identity that is attached to my ego, any identity that's attached to who I think I've become, etc. It's nice to be humbled again. It's nice to be noticed for a particular thing, but be 
dealt with in a human way and a completely human connection. So yeah, no, they don't care about Instagram so That's much. That's amazing. Now, yeah. I notice you have a tattoo on your neck. I do. And I noticed that there's even a Facebook group called What is Jay Shetty's Tattoo? <laughs> I'm serious. There's a Facebook group dedicated to his tattoo. That's how big this guy <laughs> is getting. That. Soon there'll be Facebook groups for your ankles, your left thumb. It's gonna get weird, Jay, deal with fame. <laughs> but what the hell is that tattoo? <laughs> I'll tell the story about it. I got my first tattoo when I was 16 years old, and I never asked my parents for permission. I went and got it, came home, I was bleeding slightly, and it happened to be on the same day we had family visiting from India. And for anyone who knows anything about Indian families, like respect to like elders and family, it's important, and those are good values, but I walk in with my neck like half bleeding, and I have this tattoo of my family, my mom is just like, <gasps> Like, you know, she's completely shocked. And my dad's like, cover it up, cover it up. Like, trying to get me a college shirt. Anyway, so I used to be a huge fan of spoken word and rap music growing up. I've always loved language and words. And so I was a huge fan of hip hop and spoken word. So I have a fist holding a microphone on my neck because it used to be the logo of the Source magazine in the 1990s, which was one of the biggest hip hop magazines of its time. And I remember getting it done at 16, and a lot of people would be like, what's that on your neck? And I'd say, it's a microphone. And they'd be like, oh, cool, what do you do? And I'd say, I do spoken word and rap. And they said, oh, you should perform at our club. So it was, so we I've never been asked about that on stage. I'm like, how useful is this information to anyone? <laughs> are we at Mind Valley or are we at Tattoo Parlor? I mean, you know, like, I don't know. Where we, you know. No, but you know what? It's so nice to also learn about the real you. There's so much wisdom from Jay out there. We wanted to bring in some of your realness because okay. I know you as a friend and you're like just epically cool. So we'd love to take some questions from the audience. Let's start with Shaman Durek. One of the things that I wanted to ask you is I want to get your viewpoint on it. In shamanism, we have this viewpoint that spirituality is not separate from life. It means that someone who's spiritual, even if they don't meditate or work with crystals or do any of these things, it means they're willing to evolve. I want to know what your thought is about that. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's beautiful. And see, we look at everything about, oh, what can I learn? And actually half of learning, in my opinion, is really unlearning. Everyone already has the answer inside of them. You're not really learning anything new. You're just trying to get rid of all the bad lessons you learned. And everyone has that. So it's not so much about like, oh, is this person going from here to here? It's not really that. It's like, is someone going from here to here? And for me, one of the ways I've always thought about is you can't take the world further than where you visited internally. So for me, every person that we're meeting already has that journey right there. And all you're asking them to do is look inwards as opposed to outwards. So no, I completely agree with you. And I think that's a beautiful point that you've shared. And I think it's something nice for us to know so that we don't judge and label people. We don't walk around and think, oh, those are spiritual people. Those are not spiritual people because we're all spiritual people. And it's just that some are covered. It's like the sun's always out but often it's covered with the clouds, rarely here, a bit more lately. But the sun is always out. It's just get covered by the clouds, and that's us. We've just been covered. And we get covered by those clouds, and they cloud our identity, they cloud our perception. And so all we're doing for ourselves and others is clearing out the clouds. And the more we do that for ourselves, the more we can do it for others, and the more we do it for others, the more we do it for ourselves. And is meditation the only process that you use to clear out the clouds? Or is there other things that you explore? I think meditation today is a tool, and it's a great tool in your toolkit, but it's really about how we're processing the whole time, how we're living the whole time outside of that. And so when I do two hours of meditation a day, my teachers would always say to me, well, what are you doing for the other 22 hours you're awake? 
That would always be the question. And so I read a study recently that said that men and women were asked either to sit alone with their thoughts for 15 minutes, or if they didn't want to do that, they could give themselves an electric shot. It's a true study. 60% of men chose an electric shot. <laughs> true story. And 30% of women chose an electric shot. These are real, normal people. And when they were asked why they did that, they just said, I don't think I can sit. What am I going to do for 15 minutes? <laughs> and so for me, meditation is an important part of the cloud, but it's also reflection, introspection, journaling, the ability to have a connection that's deeper than you, sitting down with people who can help you move the clouds, because it's not always you on your own. You need others to come in and help you do that. So it's multiple things. It's multiple things. I think meditation is a key facet of it, but not the be-all and end-all of it. So we noticed that you speak a lot about relationships. A large proportion of your videos are on relationships. But you did have training as a monk. And normally when monks give advice on relationship, it's simply two words, don't screw. Right? <laughs> Where does that interest in relationships come from? My fascination for relationships comes from having failed at lots of relationships. So growing up, I had countless relationships that didn't work out. And I was always trying to learn, like, what does love mean? What is love? What is the ideal relationship? Why didn't that work out with that person, etc.? So I was constantly reflecting. And then when I became a monk, obviously, I was celibate for three years and didn't have any relationships during that time. And at that time, a lot of people would come and complain to me about their relationships. It's really funny when people do that. It's like, you're not married, you will know what to do in my life. And I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way. And I was always fascinated by that. I was getting asked so many questions about relationships. And I was like, well, I don't have any real life experience of figuring it out. So when I left and when I met my wife, and now that we've been together for six years and married for three years, I was always reflecting on why things do work with us and the parts that we are challenged by. And so for me, it's been a personal journey of growth. And so the videos I've made have been from personal lessons I've learned from helping others, coaching others, and working on my own relationship. The trifecta around all my videos is I listen to someone who shares a challenge with me. So if you ever share a challenge with me, you have to be okay with the fact you may end up as a story in one of my videos. Right? I'm just throwing it out there. The second thing I try and find is I try and find a scientific study to verify what I'm about to say as a solution. And the third thing that I do is I try and find a piece of wisdom that's thousands of years old that also aligns with that. So for me, that's what I'm always looking for, and that's how I create my content, because that way I can verify it through modern science. It's timeless wisdom that's been true for thousands of years, and at the same time, it's based on a real challenge that we're all going through. That's amazing. I love how you just broke that down. Now, let's take on a question from the audience. So I have this burning question. How do you relate, um, how have you related to deep spiritual learnings and at the same time being happy and content in the material world without going crazy? <laughs> Interesting question. I think that's the point of spiritual training. When we're immature in our spiritual learning, we're just starting out. Everyone remember the first time they learned something? And they were like, I'm never talking to my family ever again, right? It's like, because you learn a little bit and you go, oh my God, I've been doing it all wrong. And now I can't talk to that person. I can't ever go to that event again. And you start making all these big decisions based on something small that you've learned. And so I think in the beginning of our lives, because to protect ourselves, which is a very normal desire and very good and very human, we think, okay, I need to take care of this, so now I'm going to shut out from all of this. But as we grow, 
we realize we can give more back. And so one of the ways I've always thought about it is if you look at the ocean and you see someone drowning, you want to help them. But if you go in too soon and you're not strong enough, it's likely that you're going to get pulled in. And at that point, it's easier to shout out to a lifeguard who can come along, who's trained, who's disciplined, who's committed, who can go and make a difference. And so for me in my life, I'm always looking at if I can't bring someone up, I'm not going to spend time with them if they're going to pull me down. And it's drawing that line for me. So if I've been ever scared about my spirituality, rather than putting them down and going, oh, I'm not spending time with them because I'm putting them down, if I can't lift them up, then I'm going to protect myself by not being dragged down. But if I can pull them up, if I can lift them up, then that's when I'm able to go into that space and make an impact and make a difference. And that line has really helped me not go crazy because now I'm not doing it based on a judgment of them. I'm reflecting on my own abilities and flaws and the difference I can make. And I'm taking a stance. It's like someone asked me the other day, what is a complaint? And we were talking about litter. A complaint is you see a piece of trash on the floor and you go, oh, LA is so dirty. You've removed the agency that you can have an impact on that. A statement is, oh, LA's a bit dirty, there's trash on the floor, I'm going to pick that up and throw it away, right? Taking that responsibility. So when we're irresponsible in our spiritual lives, we judge everyone and judge everything. And we mature, we start looking at it through compassion, empathy, and connection, and recognize we were just there a few years ago. And that's the biggest anchor in my life, is recognizing that I was addicted to, and still am in different ways, things that... I don't believe are good for me spiritually. And I was that guy. I was that kid, you know? And it's taken a journey. And someone had to believe in me. Someone had to invest in me. Someone had to reach their hand without being forced in and pull me out. And so that allows me to continue to operate in the world. I hope that answers your question. Thank you. Thank so, you. Jay, when I saw you speak at Wisdom 2.0 last weekend, you got on stage and you quoted Martin Luther King. Mm. It was a quote on justice, love. And a big theme of this event has been MLK, mm -hmm. his vision for justice as the application of power to remove all obstacles of love. We just had Marianne Williamson take the stage here and talk about the importance of standing up, of activism. What are your views on this? So I want to approach it from a slightly different angle as well. How many of you spend a lot of your days multitasking? A lot of us spend our time multitasking. Now, studies show that only 2% of us are actually able to multitask. And when most people hear that, they're like, yeah, I'm in that 2%. <laughs> That's me, right? I'm in that 2%. You're probably not. I'm not, because it's only 2% of the global population of the world. Multitasking is a myth. And I find that as spiritual activists, as conscious change makers, as change agents of the world, whatever you want to call yourself, all of us, one of the biggest mistakes we've seen, and this was a quote that I shared and a thought from Martin Luther King that I've really held close to me, is he said, those who love peace need to learn to organize themselves as well as those who love war. Those who love peace need to learn to organize themselves as well as those who love war, i.e. people who are trying to build destruction in the world and distractions in the world are highly organized, highly focused, highly data-oriented, highly strategic, highly process-driven. And so we have to be the same. And when you spend time with Vision, or you spend time with the Mind Valley team, you realize their success is intuitive, it is deep, it is full of love, but it is also highly strategic, it is also highly focused, and therefore it's effective. And so for me, my plea to all of you and to myself is whatever we're going to do, let's get really strategic about it. Let's bring sincerity and strategy together. 
Let's bring data and dynamism together. Let's bring intuition and insight together. Let's not look beyond that and think, oh, that stuff's going to work out because my intention's nice. Your intention's not going to run a mile. It will help you run the marathon, but it's not going to run that mile that you need to do right now. And so for me, intention and action, intention and attention, both of them are required. And so my recommendation is whatever your dream is, whatever you're inspired by, whatever you think is going to have a positive impact on the world, bring both to that. Don't settle for one or the other. Thank you. And what you said so relates to Marianne Williamson, who was here just two hours ago, who said we need to wage peace as effectively as people wage war. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that connection yeah, to a absolutely. big theme of this event. Let's take another question from the audience. Hi, Sunita here. So my question is, we go through the transformational journey and it's very personal. We all start at different timeline. But what if we are not able to rally our loved ones into this journey? Like, for example, your spouse. And there is a fear of you outgrowing them and also your loved ones. Like your parents don't understand your journey. Your kids don't understand your journey and you're in a different path. How do we tackle this? Because I think mm. it's important to bring them along. We can't just leave our relationships just because we are growing. So I want to know how do we rally them onto this journey and open up possibilities for them as well. So I think the biggest and hardest lesson is that our family and our friends will be more inspired by our example than our education. They're going to change when they see us change. They're going to transform when they see us genuinely transform. They're not fascinated by how much you've learned and how much you know, and you can do a headstand now, and you, know, you can do all these chakras and mudras, and you know all these Sanskrit words. And you know, like, that doesn't move the people that have known you since you were young or have known you before, and that doesn't make an impact on them. What makes an impact on them is your example and your transformation and the amount you've changed. I remember... Someone asked a similar question, but in a, not as nicely as you did. You asked it very respectfully. But I remember when I was a monk, this question was asked to my teacher. And my teacher is actually very compassionate, but this was one of his like heavier moments. It was harsh. But he was asked by someone in the crowd. They said to him, I'm trying so hard to you know, get my family to become spiritual and I'm doing everything and they don't listen to me and I'm trying really hard and it's not working. And I'm like doing this and I'm doing that. And I'm doing this and I'm teaching them this and I'm taking them this and nothing's happening. And they were a student of his. And my teacher said, tolerate them as I'm tolerating you. <laughs> he actually said, and he's super sweet. Like my teacher's like 70 years old. He's been a monk for 40 years. He's amazing. He's one of the sweetest people in the world. And he said that. And I was like, whoa. I was like, you just got served. You know, like it was one of those moments. And, and you know, he's in robes and he says it really peacefully and everything. But the lesson I got from that is that someone's done that for us. Like someone's been patiently waiting for me to transform, for me to grow, whether it's a mentor or a guide, a guru, a teacher, or whatever it is. Like there's someone in our life in any transformation who's also waiting for us. So part of it is patience. Patience is a huge thing. You're never going to change someone or make them do something. And half the time, you just have to get out of the way. The part with patience that works is introduce them to who they're inspired by. Don't try and be their inspiration even in parenting situations, like when parents introduce their kids to people they're inspired by, that will help the kids more than telling the kids to do the right thing. And I've seen that happen so often. When you look at sports as well, like even if your father was the best actor or best sports player in the world, or your mother was the best tennis player or performer or whatever it is, you're never impressed by your parents. 
Like we're really impressed by our family when we're younger. We get gratitude later on, but in our early days, we don't have that. But we need to meet people. So if you can introduce your family to people they're inspired by, that's going to make a huge difference. And the final one, like I said at the start, was just your example. Seeing you really change, seeing your behavior change, your language change, your communication change, that's going to give them the greatest confidence that, you know, what she's doing is right. It works. The proof's in the pudding. The proof's in seeing you actually make that change. That answers your question. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Jay. Thanks so much. You're all so kind. Yeah. So what then is next for Jay Shetty? What are some visions that you have for how you are going to serve the world? So when I started out, I started this journey 13 years ago, but my video content only three years ago. When I started out, I never thought it would work. So I had a lot of limiting beliefs. I never thought it would get this far. I never believed that. I thought I was going to work a full-time job, come home, spend all my time editing videos, and hopefully do this on the weekend. Like, that's how I'd envision my life. So I'm very grateful for all of you who've ever watched, liked, or shared a video. I'm extremely touched that you've taken the time to even listen to me, and I'm living a very blessed and fortunate life. So I come from a place of deep gratitude. And now that I've seen what's possible, now I'm the opposite way. Now I'm like, wow, I can't wait now. Like now I'm really, really excited. One of my biggest beliefs, and I read a study that inspired my beginning, and it was that the most successful people in the world, healthy, wealthy, or wise, choose education over entertainment. And the most unsuccessful people in the world, unhealthy, unwealthy, or unwise, choose entertainment over education. So I made it my mission in life to build entertainment-first content with an educational heart. And I was thinking, how do we make wisdom spread at the pace people want entertainment? How do we meet people where they are so that they can come on a journey with us? How do we meet people? Because guess what? Hundreds of thousands of people will do courses, millions of people will come to events, but billions will always watch television and network TV and online programming. How do we meet people there? So a big part of my vision and goal is to create conscious content that will sit on all the platforms that everyone binge watches, will be extremely entertaining that you won't even know, but it will have the most meaningful messages behind it. It will have the deepest meaningful messages hidden in the heart of that content. And what's happened on social media and what I've been able to do on social media has proven to me that there's an opportunity for that. I read a study two weeks ago in Inc. magazine that showed the most viewed videos on social media in 2018. The top 500 most viewed videos on social media in 2018 were all positive. They weren't news. They weren't politics. They weren't negative. They were positive videos. And that could have been comedy. It could have been inspirational stuff. It could have been anything. It doesn't have to be... Motivational, inspirational, it was comedic but positive. That was the stuff that was winning. And so for me, that's step one. Step one is creating a world where all the entertainment we watch, movies, media, everywhere, is highly entertaining but has messages hidden behind it, which I think it already exists. And the second step is then working with incredible folk like Mind Valley and creating the educational background to give people a journey to go on. So once they're watching something, how do they then go on their personal journey of transformation? It's really giving a real pathway, giving a real method, which is non-judgmental, non-sectarian, universal and timeless, so that anyone can find it accessible and practical. And that's a really key word, actually, making it really practical, making it really easy, not making it mystical so that people get lost, but making it really practical so that people feel like they're handheld. That would be the goal, making wisdom go viral. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. Thanks so much, Richard.
Vishen Lakhiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? Your relationships. How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of a hundred and fifty thousand of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.